what am I supposed to do? I was thinking that is the question, right? Like that is the question. A question I believe most of us have found ourselves asking with both life's challenging options, but even the simple ordinary. And for us today, it's no surprise when I say that this great challenge really is for all. I mean, it's decision-making. Decision-making. I mean, if we're honest, if we're really honest right now, who loathes decision-making? One, two, two people loathe decision-making. Let's be honest, we can't stand decision-making. I mean, imagine, think, searching through Netflix... I get so much anxiety scrolling through Netflix. This restaurant or that restaurant, meet at this place, meet at this time. If you want to torture me, if you want to absolutely torture me, put me in a group text with people who are trying to make a decision. (laughs) That is a slow, painful game of Frisbee decision-making. I just want to die. Perhaps some of you even know this. Um, If you dissect the word decide... The side part of the word decide is Latin and means to kill, like the, like the heavy word of suicide. All of this meaning that when you decide something, like burrito, I'm getting a burrito, it's final, then you are, by the very nature of making a decision, you are putting your other options to death. You are killing off choices. Thus, the severe challenge many of us face in trying to decide in life. And for those who believe God or for those of us you know, who follow Jesus, we get these thoughts that buzz around in our minds like horseflies entertaining the idea that life would just be so much simpler if God would just tell us what he wants us to do. Holy smokes. Right? Almighty God, you know what it's ultimately good You know what's good for me and what's better for me? Burrito or taco? Move, sell, buy, leave, quit. God, what would you have? We want to hear a thing. We just want to hear an audible voice, don't we? Who would love just to hear an audible voice? Thank you. That's honesty. We want an easier way. We want our prayers, I mean, our prayers to become, Spirit of living God, just tell me which road to take. Uh, Robert Frost, one of the greatest poets our world has ever seen, penned his own thoughts and our own proverbial journey and choice in one of the most popular poems ever written. I don't have time to read it all, so allow me just to read the beginning. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. See, all of us at different times desire a sense of direction. Roads are presented, roads are given, and it's there that we need to know how the Lord leads. To know what his guidance look like, to know how to listen, or how and why and where and who again, how the Spirit of God would lead. And for our verses today, I believe there is a helpful, inspiring narrative for us to learn from. See, it tells the story of a man who was spoken to and then led by the very power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can see clearly 
I hope you guys, when we read these verses, we can clearly see that we could take a, a syringe and draw out tons of application from these verses. Baptism and how to interpret scripture and evangelism and angels and mission and gospel expansion and eunuch studies. There's tons of stuff in these scriptures, in these verses. But if we can just take a little bit of time tonight, nothing exhaustive, and gather in what we can in seeing and knowing how the Spirit of God leads his people. Some small lessons and considerations from this particular episode as we carefully walk through it. In this narrative, these lessons start by returning to the story of Philip. And if you remembered, we last saw our friend as he was battling a sorcerer in Samaria. You remember that? He was battling a sorcerer in Samaria. Not quite as epic as Harry Voldemort style, but it's exciting nonetheless. It was there in Samaria that the gospel, if you remember, leaked in. Actually, better would say that the gospel gushed in, overflowed in from the region of Jerusalem due to heavy, relentless persecution. People were killing and imprisoning those who claimed to follow Jesus. So men like Philip left, taking the precious you know, message of Jesus outward and onward. And when he does that to Samaria, multitudes respond. And these people start putting their life in Christ, and there's all this rejoicing. There's so much buzz happening right now in Samaria. There's so many new beginnings. And then something happens. All this excitement, and then something happens. The Lord presents a road. A road is given to Philip and he is told to leave. His time with the Samaritans is over as fast as it has started. So think about this for just a moment. Great success. All of this like blossoming fruit from ministry and from the gospel being preached. Great work being done. And the one who started it all by the power of the Holy Spirit is told to go. Oh, Philip, it's time to leave. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. Now there's a lot of, you know, some speculation actually regarding the angel here. If it was actually or was or is not an angel, could have actually just been the Holy Spirit. To be honest, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that God has divinely instigated this road. He's started this change. Now, I love this because this isn't an account of Philip spending his days looking for a sign. God, what would you have for me? Looking for a symbol. God, what is thou will? Philip is interrupted while serving. And then God initiates the direction by telling Philip to walk down a road that is less traveled. Again, if you know Robert Frost's poem, you may remember his renowned words as he finishes that very poem I read earlier by saying, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. See, this is beautiful. Philip is taking the road less traveled, and that really will make all of the difference. Now, let's talk about this actual physical road for a moment. 
riveting, I know. I want to talk about a road for a moment. But we'll see why this makes all the difference because having a mental grasp will only color this narrative that much more. See, the exact words were, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. To Gaza. Gaza, Gaza, Gaza. Home sweet Gaza. In 90% of like horror movies... There is a small town with a weird little grocery store in Minimar, and there's some guy like on the porch rocking back and forth with like chewing tobacco, laughing to himself. That's Gaza. That is what it is like. I want everybody to understand and have that mental image. That is what it's like. It's uncomfortable. It's like, let's get in and let's get out. It's kind of like Fresno. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Chase, I'm joking. You're wearing sunglasses. What are you doing? Fresno. <laughs> it's like this. It's this Philistine city. It's this Philistine city. I and mean, again, nobody wants to be there. If you guys remember, the Jewish people aren't too pumped on the Philistines. Remember the whole David and Goliath thing? Goliath was a Philistine. And this journey, this road, goes all the way into the continent of Africa. Now, there's millions of opinions that this road is either a 60-mile journey, a 90-mile journey, or the vast majority that this road was actually a 165-mile trek. 165-mile trek. Who gets upset walking 30 feet here in L.A.? Oh, parking spot, I'm way back. You know, we just get very upset. And this is a desert place, like taking the 10 all the way to Arizona. Has anybody made that trek before? There's nothing out there, Nothing. That is wasteland. And Philip was told to take the road less traveled. Take the road less traveled to the place most undesirable at a time most inconvenient. And how does he respond? Look at verse 27. Look how he responds. And he rose and went. What astounding obedience. What outstanding first-time obedience. My daughter, uh, who some of you may know, let's just say um, she has challenges with listening and first-time obedience. So we set up a system, parents, pay attention if you like this. We set up a system where if she listens the first time, she gets a marble from one jar to the other. If we have to tell her a second time, no marble. And if we have to tell her a third, we take a marble back. And if she can fill up this marble jar, she will get some American girl something. I don't know. It's expensive. <laughs> so, all that to say, Philip here gets a marble. And we can speculate that while Philip is on this hot desert road, that perhaps his mind is in a flurry. Perhaps his mind is a flurry about the will of God, the direction of God, the purposes of God. Perhaps he probably can't imagine why in the world he would leave something so fruitful, so amazing, so successful, all this great ministry that's happening, and now he is walking down a lonely road, like a 90s music video. I mean, he's just walking down a lonely, lonely road. Now, if you noticed, the Lord's calling of Philip 
did not come with a full script. I hope you noticed that. We have a full story, and I read it very simply for, you know, just a few minutes ago, but God did not give Philip the full story. God did not give Philip this amazing vision or dream. A command is all we see, but it wasn't a command or a mandate with detailed instructions. We read nowhere that it says, Philip, God here, buddy. Listen, yeah. Like, I'm going to need you to do this and this and this and this. I'm going to need you to meet this guy in a chariot, and you're going to explain the Bible. He's going to come to Jesus, and you're going to baptize him. All it says is, rise and go towards that road. Rise and go towards that road. May we never forget that far more often than not, we will only be able to see far enough ahead of us to simply just keep going. For Philip, every step was an arrival. Every step was a step of obedience. He had no real destination. Every step is an arrival. And I was thinking how frustrating that is. Right? I hope I'm not alone. That is, that is very frustrating. I mean, if we could just be honest or we can just say that the will of God or the roads of God can be so frustrating. And not so much that our future is fragile, but that we need to know the future right now. We need to know it right, right, right now. To make it really easy, I believe for the most part, you could probably break the will of God down into three unmovable um, bases, pillars. I will go over them quickly if you want to write them down. But three types of God's will. There's God's will of decree. There's God's will of decree. This is Psalm like 139 style, where it says, Your eyes saw me unformed, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. See, this will of decree basically being God knows all and providentially plans. The second would be the will of desire. God's will of desire. This will of desire, I'm saying that because I'm basically saying that's shorthand for obedience to God's command. See, God would desire us to pray, to love our enemies, to serve one another, to be a part of a local church, you know, etc. and etc. But this will can be easily disobeyed or ignored. God's will of desire can be obeyed, or excuse me, disobeyed or obeyed ignored or heeded. And I would say that these are great. These, these two are great. Nobody's going to argue. We get it, Casey. Those two, easy, wonderful, we all probably agree with. But these really don't reveal to us how we discover his will for our lives. Right? Where is the will that talks about, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I move here? Should I retire soon? Should I continue this? Should I end this? Date him? Marry her? Blah. That is called the will of direction. This is the one everybody wants to know about. See, it doesn't matter our age or our gender, our personality, introvert, extrovert. We will all battle with our carnal flesh with the urgency of needing to know right, 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 right 
right now. And if we be honest, if we are honest with ourselves again, and all we heard God say to us was, go south, we would lose our minds. We would lose our minds. Go south. I'm like, what? Do I need an Airbnb? How long is it going to be? Duration? Cost? Reward? 401k? What should I do with it? And it's this type of fear or worry that leads most, if not all, to paralysis. Just like, oh my gosh, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Now, I'm not saying be unwise. I'm not saying be a bad steward. Quit your job with every blow of the wind. That's, no. I am saying we need to learn to release the grip of the need to know for our future and be far more attentive to the Spirit's leading now. See, this over-focus on what will be can rob us of now. And to be robbed of the now puts the Holy Spirit in a shoebox deep within the closet. Because his role in our life is for this life. The Holy Spirit's role in our life is for this life, Christian. Far too many Christians believe that solely God is up in heaven, saving me from hell, Jesus was on a cross, and that is Christianity. Nailed it. But Jesus would tell us something entirely, entirely different when talking to his followers about how to live day by day. Jesus said as he is leaving us, Jesus said he was leaving us a comforter. Jesus said he was leaving us a helper, that being the Holy Spirit. So you guys, if you've read through, or if you remember, or I'll explain it very briefly, but Jesus was explaining in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Gospels, he was explaining in the, his most famous Sermon on the Mount, this is what it looks like to live day by day. And I can only imagine his disciples going, holy smokes, and their eyes widen. But then he goes, no, 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 no. There's no way you can do this. There's no way. That is impossible. Impossible. I'm going to give and send a helper. That gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a gift. Let me read you what Jesus said. What father among you, see, happy Father's Day, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And pay attention. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit is a gift. I like how Pastor Lorenzo was illustrating it the other day to me in a conversation. He goes, it's like getting the gift of a Porsche, but without the keys. Here you go! That's bonkers. A Porsche without keys is not much of a gift at all. See, the only way to come close to experiencing, to obtaining, obtaining the gift of the Porsche is by having keys in hand. To living the Christian life is to have the Holy Spirit indwell. We have to unwrap this gift in our life, be attentive in the present, having the Spirit take the lead in this life. Philip is an example of someone who recognizes that future decisions we make in the next 
three months, three years, six years, whatever, will be profoundly affected by the, deg- by the degree, excuse me, by the degree to which we obey the Holy Spirit today. Any decision we make in the future, I'm going to repeat it again, will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we obey the Holy Spirit today. Do you believe this? Author uh, Jerry Sitzer, in his incredible book on the will of God, uh, he punches us in the face with this. This is what he says. The Bible says very little about the will of God as a future pathway. Instead, the Bible warns us about anxiety and presumption concerning the future, assures us that God is in control, and here, pay attention, and commands us to do what will of God we already know in the present. For Philip, that was serve Jesus, seek Jesus, speak of Jesus, no matter the risk, no matter the cost. This lifestyle leading him down a very lonely, lonely road. Well, somewhat lonely. lonely. Look at uh, verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip is on this road. He's walking towards Gaza, and here's something come up behind him, and it's a chariot. Whether this chariot was carried on the shoulders of men or by oxen, we do not know, but what is certain is whoever is in there hasn't made in the shade. Who's ever in this chariot ain't doing too shabby. See, they're clearly important. He serves under the queen, a chief finance minister. And he was reading a scroll. Remember, there was no family Christian bookstores, you know, around the corner for him to go get NIV, ASV, PPD, DWBD. He couldn't get just go buy a Bible. One did not just have the Old Testament or a scroll handy. For him to have one means he's got money. And we also see that he is a eunuch. Basically, we know this. If you work with the queen, you get castrated so that there is zero funny business. And if you want to know more about castration, you can email me at lorenzo at collectivechurch.com. Any and all questions. And lastly, we see that he was an African man heading home. Ethiopia then was this entire region, huge. Anything south of the Nile River back then. So it's quite, quite large. But he was coming back. Did you notice that? He was coming back from worshiping the Hebrew God. This wasn't normal. This is not what they worshiped in Ethiopia. It was animals and suns. The sun, the moon, stars. See, to him, he's trying to figure out who this Hebrew God is, this God of the scroll he is reading. And now this is very important because I would say that the Ethiopian has embraced Judaism as a desire to know God. He's somewhat participating. He's probably considered to be a God-fearer. But he wasn't fully committed yet to the heart of the matter. 
I think this is good because this could be like some of us here today. Meaning there are those here who have committed themselves to following Jesus with baptism and with worship and with their lives. They have identified with this community of people. And then there are some who may actually be more like this Ethiopian man. A really good person, interested in God, yet not a follower. See, much like the Ethiopian, you are intrigued and you are motivated to come. You are involved just enough to just at least expose yourself to some of these questions that could be answered and become your reality, could become part of your life. See, if that is you today, our hope as a small community, not just mine, our hope as this collective community would be that you would hear and know that you are deeply, deeply loved by an unchanging, unfailing God. That basically being what this Ethiopian was trying to figure out. And God divinely sets up this appointment. See, the fold is unfolding before Philip's eyes. Because as this chariot is passing by, maybe Philip like, moves out of the way to let it through, and Philip hears the man reading out loud, which is very common back in the day, but he's reading out loud the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And as Philip is watching this chariot go by, he's hearing this man read the book of Isaiah, something again happens. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The Holy Spirit, again, God's power and presence in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks. I mean, isn't this this what we wanted? Is this what I was talking about earlier? This was the intro of the talk? Isn't that we want the Holy Spirit to tell us? Like you told Philip, so easy, Holy Spirit, get on it. Just tell us how you told Philip. See, out of the 60-ish times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Acts, in about 40 of those, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Now, with your permission, I would like to slow down just for a moment or two to discuss how in the world we hear God. How in the world do we hear God? Do you ever want to know the truth about how God acts and works in his character and how he speaks? How to hear him? We always go to the Bible. I know it's elementary, but we go to the Bible. And the Bible as a whole would show us that we have a speaking God. We have a speaking God. Not a mute God. Not a quiet God hidden God, a speaking God. And God communicates in a variety of ways in the Bible as a whole. Maybe you're thinking of some right now. There's divine visions and divine dreams. There's literally handwriting on the wall. There's donkeys. There's through fire and wind and earthquakes. And even through a still small voice. With some, it's clearly audible and direct. And we don't have time to get in all the cases that it was audible and direct because a vast majority of the time, it's indirect, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's indirect. 
And to be honest, the Spirit of God can and use, can use and, and, and appeal to, to our intuition, our experiences. God will speak through our circumstances. God will speak to us from those in our life, including this very community. The words of friends, the words of enemies, the words of parents, professors, preachers, and Bible teachers. And of course, and far above all, the incredible, incredible word of God. It is his word. Friends, I hope you find so much delight in the Bible. As one of the pastors of this church, we would just love to have a church that loves the Bible and find great delight in his written word. See, Scripture, the Bible, should always, 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 always be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path when we're trying to move in any direction. And it's once we start to grow in our understanding of the Bible, we not only hear and know to a greater level, we can also hear and know what is most definitely not the voice of God. No, 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 that is, that is my spirit. No, 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 that is Satan. We start to learn the voice of God. So it's not that we need these massive revelations in our life. Jesus promised his spirit who gives us illumination of God's already unbridled revelation that is the Bible. Now I can't sit here and tell you exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. Directly or indirectly. But an even juicier lesson here would be that Philip listened. Philip acted. Philip took a step of faith. Philip moved. God has spoken. God is speaking. So the question isn't, God, why aren't you speaking? The question is, God, am I listening? This is a lost art. Isn't it, collective church, friends? This is a lost art. The art of listening, to be still enough, to breathe in, to hear, to be silent. We hate it. We hate silence. I've always thought about it. I was so unique early on dating my wife. And anytime there was an awkward silence, I was the guy who was like, are you too hot or cold? Is the seat comfy for you? Like, I just had to feel it all the time. How's your head? Your, your head's fine, I guess. Like, we just had to feel the silence. Now, geez, 14 years or whatever we've been together, silence is not a, a sign of a weak relationship. It's a sign of a strong relationship. I'm comfortable enough with her to know what she's thinking. She knows what I'm thinking. I know she's comfortable. She knows I'm comfortable. So our dates right now, we don't say a word to each other. (laughs) Just, shh. I'm just joking. We talk a little bit. See, to go from where is the voice from God to what has the voice of God said. That is why our prayer culture is the way it is here at Collective Church. If you've been with us at any public prayer meeting, or if you guys remember back in the day in September 2014, or praying in my living room, we started with listening prayer. Asking God what he would have us pray for. Asking God if what he was going to start speaking to others and make sure we're attuned to that. Making sure God has the first word in our prayer. If this is not a, a practice that you guys do in your own time of private devotions, make silence a part of it. Get comfortable with silence in your prayer time. Even tonight, we're going to ask 
in our time of, you know, ending prayer and reflect and listen. See, Philip listened. Philip listened to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God wants Philip to do privately what he has already done publicly in Samaria. And the Spirit of God has been working things out for this exact spot, this exact moment, and this exact time, on this exact road, with these exact people. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran. Yeah, and I don't think, remember, this isn't like, hey, you're reading the Bible. Philip's running. Philip's running to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? So this is conversation happening as Philip is running alongside. I think that's funny. Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. And this is so beautiful. Now the passage of scripture that they were reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And then eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Or about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. Just so you know, if you ever see that in the Bible, and they open their mouth, just know a weighty utterance follows either then in that moment or we'll read it in Scripture. But look at this. And beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The Spirit of God did not lead Philip to something comfortable, something self-serving, but towards people. Philip knows that God's mission, his commission... God's mission, I mean, it's, it's people. God's mission is people. And as Philip rests his feet and sits in this chariot with this man who knows how long he's been walking, how badly his feet hurt, notice that Philip doesn't start by asking the Ethiopian this. Do you want to get rid of all the problems in your life? Philip isn't sitting down going, listen, listen, listen. Do you want to get rid of bad habits? Philip isn't like, shh, shh, listen, listen, listen. Do you want to get more out of life? Philip isn't saying, do you want to go to heaven? He isn't saying that. Nor do I want to ask those very same questions from this pulpit. Now hear me, yes, those are relevant questions, and they may be benefits of the gospel, but those questions, those thoughts, are not the good news of Jesus Christ. Phil is showing him that the life of Jesus is a verifiable life. The Old Testament is this mystery. It's this giant, huge, locked, wooden door. And those who follow Jesus, those who acknowledge the identity of Jesus, are the ones who are given this key. Philip is giving this key to the Ethiopian about the prophecy in Isaiah. He's like, no, it's Jesus. But this prophecy of Christ's Christ's death, his slaughter, that's a brutal word. His slaughter is a slaughter that you deserved, Ethiopian man, that I deserved for our offenses against the holy God. But they were paid for in full by his death. Then he goes, oh, that's not the end. 
That Holy Spirit, the same one who spoke to Philip, then raised that Jesus, that slaughtered lamb from the grave. They basically tell him, now you too can have life if you choose. You see that I, I love, I love, I love, I love that Philip isn't enticing him with spiritual, emotional benefits. Easier life, health and wealth, because that's not the Christian message. If you've been spoon-fed that that's the Christian, me- Christian message, it's not. The gospel is a story, it's a solution for a broken relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. The benefit is fulfillment in the beautiful relationship for here and now through the end of time. Allow me to ask, is there anyone here who wants something from Jesus rather than Christ himself? Is anyone here who wants something from God rather than God himself? Benefits from God without seeing God as the ultimate benefit. Bishop and author N.T. Wright on this particular instance with Philip says, Luke, the author of Acts, plants the story at the heart of the moment when the gospel is starting to go out into the wider world to make it abundantly clear that wherever you go, whatever culture or oppression you may find, the message of Jesus is the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes. The Ethiopian man found his yes for his restless soul in Jesus. And he is so consumed and determined to follow Christ that he obeys immediately. See, the Ethiopian too, he gets a marble. For the Ethiopian, it's about the present and the now. Look at verse 36. And as they were glowing along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip was like, not a thing, bro. Look at verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. See, we'll be talking about the sacrament of baptism in great depth in the coming weeks. But for now, just know it's a statement to all that you identify with Christ. See, it's like a giant wedding ring. Jesus told us to be baptized, to tell the world that we are his as he is ours. And from this point, the two, the Ethiopian man and Philip, go their separate ways but it's not really in the way that you'd expect. Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in astosis, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Pretty sure this is the last time we see Philip till about Acts chapter 21. But... His departure is one of those portions in the Bible where as a Bible teacher, you just kind of acknowledge his departure is just challenging to our finite minds. To understand what's going on here, it's just miraculous. It's simply miraculous. Because when the Holy Spirit works, it doesn't always just make sense. Get this, essentially Philip was carried away 20 miles up the coast in an instant. In an instant. And the Ethiopian, soaking wet, just rejoices. A surefire sign of salvation in Jesus Christ. So now let me wrap this up with addressing two groups of people 
in this room. To those who are like the Ethiopian man, curious about God, curious about the Bible, curious about afterlife, curious about faith, it's the Holy Spirit, and get this, it is the Holy Spirit that has prompted that curiosity. You see, the Spirit is leading you even now in your curiosity. See, if you're wondering about any of this Jesus stuff, that's God at work. If you're wondering about any of this Jesus stuff, that is God at work in your heart. I would ask that you consider tonight, in the present, in the now, the cost of following Jesus Christ. Consider the Jesus. Consider the sacrificial lamb. Who he is and what that means for your life today. Now a word to those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their everything. Perhaps those Christians who are lost to what it means to do God's will or where they should be going or what they should be doing. Confused of what to do, fearful about moving forward, afraid, unmoving, anxious, worried. Allow me to hopefully be helpful. This is God's will for your life. And this is from the mouth of Christ himself. And Christ starts by comforting people much like us who go, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Where shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In this life, the pursuit of a life of Christ-likeness is the will of God. Maybe some of you are going, oh. Pursuing Christ and pursuing Christ's likeness in every manner of relationship, vocation, financial, and so on. These are far greater promises than shallowness of ease and wealth, or whatever. May we view his work in our lives as rich as gold and silver. See, the decision to be in God's will is not the decision to move here or do that or burrito or taco or what do I do? That's not how do I just be in God's will? That's not it. The decision to be in God's will is the daily choosing and choosing again to seek his kingdom instead of our own. It is a decision by decision by decision by decision by decision. And from there, live. And from there, just live your life. It is impossible to make a misstep when we are seeking his kingdom. Sure, there will be hardships, yes, absolutely, whatever decision. But it is impossible to make a misstep when we are fully seeking his kingdom. When the word of God is lit as a lamp in the fog. And the Spirit is dependent upon, trusted upon, and believed to be competent. To trust Him so completely that any anxiety of the unknown is overshadowed by the one who knows all. Friends, do you trust Him with your life? Let's pray right now for greater trust in the work and strength of the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer.